Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cold Cuts. My name is not Meredith Nudo. That will be probably something you notice very quickly. My name is Gabriel Crit. I'm the artistic producer for Platform, a production company. And unfortunately, Meredith is not feeling well tonight. And in an effort to protect her voice and her health, she asked for the time off to rest her voice. And we obviously are a fan of that. And so please send good vibes and thoughts to Meredith for a speedy recovery. She will be back most likely for next week when we start a new show. But we're not talking about new shows tonight. We're talking about Day of the Greeks. And with that, I would like to show a very exciting screen that is not just me, but more importantly, the cast and the author of Day of the Greeks. Joseph Blakey is joining us for a wonderful Leftovers wrap-up episode of Cold Cuts. Joseph, you're more than welcome to introduce yourself, tell us a little bit maybe about you, and then maybe just a, a tease about the idea behind this project, and we'll go around here from everyone else. And Meredith actually sent in a couple of questions to get the conversation started, so I want to be sure that we, we get to those. But first of all, hey Joseph, how's it going? Who are you? What are you up to at your leisure? Hi. Yes, my name is Joseph. I'm the writer of uh, Day of the Greeks. Delton, if you want to pop in, say who you played in the past tense and maybe a little bit about some recap thoughts, things you want to discuss this evening. Hi. Yeah, I played Vincent, a very uh, interesting young lad. And gosh, what am I eager to talk about? I just want to obviously pick Joe's brain, but also everyone's brain about just the whole experience. Because it's so, there's like old radio plays, how they would, I think we, Gabriel and I were talking about this last time because I can't stop rambling about it. But it's so cool to watch just a bunch of people who are good at stuff, just like blah, and like make the cool thing happen, like live. And that kept happening every week. And it's, it's so cool. So I just want to talk about all of it. I'm just eager to keep talking. Absolutely. Thank you, Delton. Julia Orsborne. Hello, I played Sam. I don't know. This whole experience has been really fun. It's been different than anything else I've really done. So it's been really cool to get to kind of have a theater experience in this current Panini situation. So yeah, that's been cool. Like actual like live collaborative work again is so good. It's so good. Yeah, we're grateful to have you as a part of it. It only works when we have the people live to collaborate. That's great. Next on my screen is McKenna Ramsey. Hi, Tanshi. I'm McKenna. I played Veronica. I almost always say Victoria. There's no reason for that. I, On the first day, it was like, oh, and write in your character. And I was like, oh, yeah. And then I like just got this inkling. I should check this, like check the original email for the casting. And I went, I had no idea who I was. So I played Veronica, not Victoria. And uh, I'm, I'm feeling very good. I'm feeling very sad today. I'm sad this is the last time that this exact group will be collaborating. You know, the odds that every single person will be back for everything are, are somewhat low. But I imagine we'll all get to work together in the future because you have to, because I'm pressuring you to do it right now. And with that lovely soft threat, I'm going to move along to Nina Nicholas. Hi, I'm Nina. I voiced the stranger and mimed the Jeffrey. <laughs> And yeah, I don't know. It's I always just find it super cool when I'm just so grateful for... I'm not grateful for the internet for a several many plethora of things, but I am grateful for the internet for things like this, where we can connect and do things because I'm on the way on the other side of the planet from everybody and I still get to have a good time and engage and, and meet and read with you all. So I really appreciate that experience and I'm glad that we got to do it. And likewise. But I'm sure there will be a lot of discussion about Jeffrey's involvement or lack thereof. (laughs) 
And his, not to get ahead of things, but the hair jumpstart <laughs> functioning as like a resistor was, I think we kind of glossed over that last time. And I think that, that deserves a little bit more conversation. Is it the hair grease? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, how did he survive? Next on my screen is C. Chen. Hey guys, my name is C and I played Rowan. Yeah, this was so much fun, except I realized during the last reading that we had character sheets and I never got it. So I hope it went well. <laughs> um, First of all, it did. I would like to take personal responsibility okay. for you not receiving a character packet. I'm I deeply sorry. I have a character sheet and you were on it. You did it right to the <laughs> okay. character sheet. So yeah, it was the coldest of cuts. But yeah, I'm really excited to just like chat about this. I thought the ending was really sweet and nice. So yeah, I'm excited. Excellent. Thank you, C. And next we have Brando Crawford. Hi, everyone. I'm so pumped to meet Joe Blakey and get to know the mind behind this play that we've read. I will say that I, I know that we're going to get the conversation going in a second, but there was certain things that I really loved and I like held on to. For example, that monologue where I think this is um, Dalton's monologue where he starts talking about what's that famous musician that Joe, can you kind of, the Marvin Gaye monologue. I really just love that. And so I'm just excited to, to kind of delve into your mind. I Obviously, the first met sentence was a lie. I know you already, and, and I think you're a great artist and you've edited a lot of my work, including today, working on one of the scripts that I'm working on. So just a real pleasure getting to, to come into this cold and experience your your writing in a, in this type of setting is really cool. And seeing some of the things that come out of your um, original ideas that come out of your brain. Terrific. Thank you, Brando. And last and most certainly not least, opposite me in the corner, I have Crystal Lee. Hi. Hello, I'm Crystal. I voiced both Bert and Ember, and uh, you have a lot of questions. Um, you might remember Bert as the uh, the fellow who was paralyzing fear of bears, and Ember, the uh, thwarted future, big bad, who knows? Lots of lots. I have so many questions. The whole thing, looking back, feels like a fever dream, um, and it was just so much fun to be able to read with all of these super talented folk, and uh, hello, Joe. Welcome. Yeah, let's uh, let's let's go. I think, is he, is he ready? Are you ready to, to, to intro? Woo! Lovely. Well, welcome aboard. I would love to hear, Joe, just a little bit about you, where you are, what else you're working on, what was sort of the impetus towards telling this story in this way at this time. And then I want to get into a question or two from Meredith to get the conversation going from there. But take it away, Joe. Absolutely. So, uh, I mean, first off, I just want to open how thankful I am for Platform and that I was able to kind of get bring this piece and have it be exposed in this particular way where it's... Because I've done a couple of readings with it before, but it's always like it's all at one time and it's in one set thing. And there's something kind of really special and cool about splitting it into like four chunks as part of a series, having the actors react to it in real time and get to theorize and come up with their own kind of way. They have their own way of engaging with the piece. And in just watching that in real time has been a really special experience. So thank you to Patrick. Thank you to Gabe. Thank you to Rachel and James and Declan, who gave me a lot of notes. And I want to thank each of the actors, C and Julie. Thank you so much for jumping in last minute. I know you were asked to play you. These were not characters you were asked to play originally. So thank you for jumping in. Delton, your Foley sounds have been really spot on. The way you handled the manager's piece, especially when you're, the way you handled that was just, uh, I was watching that and it was really gripped. The manager's piece. Yes. I don't black out every time we record the manager. 
Oh, yes, yeah. yes, yeah. No. <laughs> Rando, I mean, you know, I've known you for quite a while. And just I want to thank you so much for jumping in and doing this. I know you're a busy guy. And for also creating this really fun meta narrative that uh, I've been able to kind of follow along. You know, I'm always look kind of looking kind of how people are reacting to the work. But equally, I think there's an entertainment value in seeing, okay, how are people going to react? Is Chuck going to find love? Who's going to end up with who? It created a whole new level of enjoyment watching this series. Nina, for First off, I want to apologize because you had such a great presence the first two episodes and I completely screwed you over with Jeffrey and making him mute. And I'm terribly sorry, but you took it in stride and he did such a great job with both The Stranger and Jeffrey. And so thank you. Crystal, your enthusiasm, every single reading, it just puts a smile on my face. I just love, just brings such a great energy. And uh, McKenna, I want to thank you for bringing Neon Genesis and Evangelion to the conversation. I know that that was not an influence. <laughs> But I'm willing to retroactively make it an influence. Making <laughs> ways with anime over here. Absolutely. I When you mentioned, I think it was in the second or third episode, when you said that Sam was Shinji, I jumped out <laughs> of my seat. I was like, I did not intend that, but I 100% agreed with it. I got in the robot, whether I wanted to or not. <laughs> Yes. And thank you to Meredith for hosting the series and for and for uh, steering the conversation, really doing a marvelous job. So yeah, this is my piece. I can talk about kind of where it comes from, but I'd much rather hear what other people have to say first. And I think to get that started, I want to share the first of the questions that Meredith sent along to me to pass on in, in her stead. Uh, and the first one is, and I just want to make sure um, I get it exactly word for word here, is what the fuck? <laughs> So if you want to all maybe discuss a little bit in response to that prompt, you've got to digest this story, not dissimilar to the way that every article of food that placed in front of the stranger was digested over the course of these four weeks. So over this past month, what the fuck happened? Take it away. I concur. I'd like to really focus on what and fuck specifically. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Weirdly, I had the exact same question written down on my end. So like great minds, I think. Perhaps more to a, a conversation starter as well. The second question that gets at a similar idea. But the, the second question is one that I was wondering as well as I got to follow along on this story, which was in this last episode that we saw last week, why is it that Vincent wasn't able to share in Sam's vision in that conclusion? We had that really wonderful moment between Delton and Julia where Julia had to sort of assure, uh, assure that Vincent that it did go off. Things were okay. The the apocalypse has been averted because he didn't get to see it for himself, but he was our first person to see the stranger. So before we get to Joe, if there is a canon answer, I'm, I'm curious to hear what everyone else's sort of thoughts are as to... Obviously he's the villain. Yeah, please. No, please, Joseph, if you have something to add first. Before I jump in, I just want to say that's a super... Because I actually had two big questions going into this for you guys, and that was exactly one of them. Because I have my own answer as a writer, like why Vincent's unable to see the vision. But I definitely want to hear what other people's interpretation of that is before I give more tea on it. I felt like the transition came when I got both kneecaps broken by Sam. Like I'm the favoured one. (laughs) Yeah, like as soon as that car just rammed the stranger over in the street like and then suddenly it's like their perspective shifted and Sam could see everything that Vincent couldn't and then the stranger was like f this I'm out turned into a goat and just yeeted and kind of just left everything to Sam bleated yeah bleated <laughs> I 
don't know, but that felt, it felt like such a strong like transitional point for me in terms of that. But now I can't remember thinking back if there was any dialogue after that point. But that was the one thing that stuck out in my mind as to like that specific question, I guess. I think last time we also brought up the transition of Sam's shoe color on the beach, mm. which is interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't remember which way they started, but I remember they get paint on him, but they're not necessarily the same color, if I remember right. I don't know. I was having trouble finding it in the script. Brando. <laughs> I've got a very different view on this. So just to switch it up, I think like if the play is sort of a, at least like a metaphor for like the insane stakes that one feels when they go through the dramatic process, which is what I felt was what the play was about. It's kind of like how sometimes one artist gets burnt out and another artist takes over. And it's kind of like the beauty and of like the eternalness of art. And so it, all what it needs is a host. And so I don't know if that was the purpose, but that's definitely what I thought when I finished. I was like, that's exactly what this play is about. And that's where it made sense to me, actually. Mm-hmm. That's one thing I, it's, I wasn't quite exactly in line with you, but like Vincent felt the stakes. Obviously he felt them very deeply. I think and Sam did, they both did, but his vision was so grand. His vision was so huge. And the stranger told him like, this is not what this is about. It's not this giant, we're not going to be broadcasting on international TV, right? You're, you're making this too much of a thing. And in the end, it ended up happening in a very humble stage in a very humble piece. And we realized like, we thought it was a dragon. We thought the world was going to burst into flames from this massive mythical creature. And what it really was, was just one person who just needed to see something in this humble setting. So when Vincent finally kind of like had a breakdown and he couldn't make the vision he wanted, he made something greater than that, more important, more effective. It didn't need to be so big. I mean, how am I going to follow that up, right? That's all great feedback. Vincent, how do you feel about this, Delton? I mean, it's just, yeah, it's really interesting too, because gosh, I there's so much to really pick at with like what's been said about Vincent and Sam's relationship to the play and like creativity in general. Vincent being kind of not necessarily aspirational, but it seems like he does. I think he's more concerned about the effects and like kind of the ripples rather than the stone being thrown in to begin with. And so he does get that warped view of of, of what the point of the art is. Mm. It was also really interesting to see potentially the stranger like just sh- noticing that too before anyone else did and deciding to get hit by a different person's car. <laughs> it was a choice. Yeah. So you're saying he walked in front of that car on purpose to cause the shift. It's the only way to transfer to be conscious and it's but that's for some reason that the imagery of the car hitting is really interesting too because Vincent it, it seemed to really affect Vincent when he thought someone else had the same idea of what the play was supposed to be and it was for me it was really interesting to see it kind of like kind of like the backlash Vincent kind of assuming because Sam sees the visions she's going to automatically agree with what he thinks the play needs to be and then when all the dominoes do fall and Vincent is kind of left out of the loop be it like because he didn't actually get what was trying to be told to him or if he was just kind of like cool great I'm going to take that and run this direction is like that's the wrong direction 
Um, it's really interesting to for me to see, I don't know if this is answering the question, but it was fun to see all of those dynamics to play out. I hope that answered a question. <laughs> there are no right or wrong answers. It was lovely to hear it from your perspective. We didn't want anyone, I didn't want Vincent to not get a word in. I did IB. <laughs> on what everyone else was saying. So before we kick it over to, to hear the author, the writer, Joe's thoughts on the, the sort of transition that Nina talked about, this is like, you know, the, the stranger shifting who it is that they serve. Does anyone else have any other thoughts or theories about why only Sam in the end had access to, to the visions from the stranger? There is no right answer. This is genuinely, I'm just curious. <laughs> Terrific. And with that, Joseph Blakey. Yes. First off, I want, like, all of you are right. So McKenna, Brando, Delton, Nina, you guys are all right. <laughs> For me, it kind of ties back to that final moment where she jump, gets on stage and then she fails because it's not the result. Kind of what the Delton was saying. It's not the kind of the ripples. It's not the actual product itself. It's the act of stepping out there mm-hmm. and trusting that's all going to work out somehow. Because I think that's ultimately kind of what all the characters in this uh, script go through. It's the this process of letting go and opening up and trusting. Courage, faith, trust, all those can, things kind of operate by the same emotions. They all require some sort of level of giving up fear, mm-hmm. conquering fear and letting go. Chuck, you know, Chuck needs to kind of let go of, he needs to let people in and let people show his more feminine side, right? Veronica needs to let people in and be okay with the possibility of people leaving again. Sam needs to open up and be faced with the possibility of rejection and know that it's going to be okay because that's part of life. You know, we cannot live lives armored. And I think with Vincent is he fails to do that. Vincent is still kind of, he's still holding on to what he believes the play should be and what he needs to do. There's the scene in the bonfire, which I think that's kind of where this idea, I think is kind of highlighted the most on my part, where they both see the vision hmm. of the dragon and the goat men. <laughs> Brando. <laughs> but the they see both see the same thing, but they both have two very different reactions to it. They None of them know what this means. They don't know what the vision means. They don't know how it's going to factor into the play. Sam is okay with not knowing that yet. Vincent mm-hmm. isn't. He needs to know. He needs control of this. Sam is willing to trust in whatever this faith, whatever this process is going to be. She's willing to trust in her fellow actors. She's willing to trust in whatever the universe has planned for her. And I feel like that's what this is about. It's about faith. Mm. And I think with Vincent, it is kind of his failure to believe that things are going to work out and that he doesn't need to do 100% of the work. That's kind of why he crumbles, I think. Yeah, that's kind of my two cents on it. But again, I just want to say, like, all of you are also correct in what you've, because you've definitely, the what like what you guys have said is definitely uh, got me to think about it a little differently as well. Could I hop in with a question that relates to that? So because you just talked about like the importance of letting go, especially when creating art or trying to just put something out there in the world, like wh- how has this whole process of writing a story about that and then going, okay, we're going to give it to a bunch of actors and they're going to read it <laughs> cold. Let's see how this goes. How has that has that reinforced kind of like some of the ideas that you put into this? Or has it changed drastically kind of any of those thoughts? I'm just curious how kind of it has an interesting mirroring effect to you giving this to us to put on. Well, absolutely. It's given me more faith in it. Because again, it's like I put you put in so much time and effort into one thing. And at some point, you got to let it go. You got to let it out. And I think what's really special about theater and different forms of art, but theater especially, is that it's inherently collaborative. 
collaborative and it's never perfect. It's never, it's not like film where you get to, to curate every single moment to the millisecond. It's a moment that is flawed, that is human, that is raw and is sloppy and then it's gone and you share it with a bunch of other people who are doing the same thing with you. And there's something really special about that, I think. And especially with like the platform of Twitch where like, again, it's on the site and then you've got a few days and then the chat's gone. Maybe it goes on YouTube, but still it's like, there's something about just kind of sending it out there and having other people play with it that really kind of gives you, gives a sense of relief. Well, I'm glad we could reinforce your belief in this story through Vicarious Lewis performing. Yeah, instead of destroying it. (laughs) Just at the end of it, it's like, I'm questioning everything that I wrote down. (laughs) That's what, thank you. Yeah, I was curious to see what you had to say about that. That's a great question and a great response as well. I want to keep things open to any other questions that anyone has, either about plot points like we've talked about so far, or just about inspiration, about unresolved questions you have about the fate and destiny of your characters and their love lives, anything. You can say shipping questions. I'm trying to be roundabout. At Brando. Not explicitly endorsing it, but also not saying we can't talk about it. Rowan Sam can confirm. <laughs> we got the hand hold. Julie, what were you going to say? Okay. Yeah, no, they're definitely gay. Yeah. Good. Good. Perfect. I have a quick question. So in my character sheet, it mentioned Sam being autistic. And I think last episode, we kind of, it was confirmed that most of the characters are in the realm of, yeah, autism. I'm curious about what made you decide for that, like, character choice for all of them, minus Rowan, I guess. Yeah. So, um, I mean, there's, you know, fun fact about me, I am on the spectrum. So a lot of what Sam's arc is, is based mm-hmm. off of personal experiences. Not exactly. There was not a horny goat man involved. <laughs> Darn um, it. <laughs> That's disappointing. But yeah, and again, I can't speak to. There are many, many, many people in the autistic community community I cannot speak to because I think I come from a unique position of being able to present myself in a way that is neurotypical. And But along with that, there is an additional kind of fight. There's something in the autistic community called masking, which is, I think I actually put it in your character sheet and is a big part of Sam's arc, which is actually the reason why she's undiagnosed. Yeah, so she's very good at it. Basically, my experience was I spent most of my time in middle school and high school knowing there was something different, knowing that there was something off, that I wasn't quite on the same page as everyone else. Bandana from she Veronica. She's very vibrant. She gets very <laughs> vibrant and she's taking all these little pieces from the friends she's developed mm-hmm. along the way because all these people, they've kind of handcrafted and painted what their masks are. They've decided how they are going to express themselves to the world. And in the, in the finale of the film, or series or play or whatever. Sam learns that as well. So that's basically the kind of the rundown is I didn't intend initially for all the characters to be autistic. And then I just started writing myself into each of them. And so they inherently just became more autistic as it went on. But uh, yeah, I think high school stereotypes and kind of Mm -hmm. almost almost seem above it, almost seem kind of independent from us. Definitely kind of served to highlight that. Does that answer your question? Yeah. It's very long-winded, but uh, yeah, it's a general idea. Awesome. Can we hear about Ember? I really need to understand. I know. I'm likewise curious. Yeah, we can talk about Ember. What do you guys want to know? What do you guys want to... What are your questions about Ember? (laughs) Any information about Ember would be very helpful right now. I want to be as vague as possible. 
Yeah, there was like a lot that like you can kind of assume about like what her fate would have been if there hadn't been that play, like entering the corporation and eventually becoming someone like influential. But like how that ties in with the apocalypse and like the elder dragon, it's like still very esoteric. I'm not really sure what's going on there. Was it not metaphor? Was that not all metaphorical <laughs> in a way? <laughs> she literally turns into a dragon. No, there's definitely a dragon. I don't know. McKenna, come on, get with the program. <laughs> Ember transforms. Well, like the company is Draco, right? Or Draco. And- I'm going to be honest, that I still assume all of that still happened. <laughs> that was all real. Well, it was like semi-metaphorical, right? Like it was a vision. It was like an idea. Like No, there's a li- no, no, literal Eldritch Dragon. That's the only thing I'm accepting. <laughs> I don't know. No, I played Sam and that... Literal Goatman. I played Sam and that there's literal Goatman and there's like a literal dragon, so... so. There was theorizing about the name of the dragon. I heard, I saw some of that in the chat. Ernie? Right, Ernie. Right, it's gotta be Ernie. Careful what Ernie you say next, Joe, because we're ready to die on these hills. Yeah, Bert and er- uh, Ernie. All right, well, sorry, it was literal. But yeah, like, what would her future have looked like if she hadn't attended the play and missed the phone call? She could have been a powerful woman. Yeah, a rich one. <laughs> <laughs> Would she be living a fulfilling life, being the Oppenheimer of 20 years in the future? I don't want to be the first one to answer this question. (laughs) This is a big question. I'm contemplating it. We don't have answers. I can take that ball and run with it. He just said Oppenheimer 20 years in the future. So I'm taking that as dragon is real. A dragon is absolutely real. Ember turns into it. I'm okay, but obviously, isn't it like (gasps) the ember that catches into an inferno. Yeah. She got eaten by the dragon and now she's the reason he shoots fire. Am I the only person who's seeing this as like a big socioeconomic climate change style thing? (laughs) I'm the only one who's like... I mean, yes. (laughs) I see it that way, but I don't want to. I want to see the literal dragon. Uh, Yeah, right there with you. The dragon is the the destruction of the world. Because that's more interesting. Okay, can I bring... I'm going to add one more question into this mix of things because this is kind of how I want you to explain it, Joe. Yeah. I think that to some degree, some of these characters are based on people. You you said that they're all based on yourself to some degree. They're also probably based on people that you know, right? I know where this is going. Uh, I'm, just, I'm curious to know, like, a character like Ember, if that also comes from the same place. Like, is there someone who you know who you're like, damn, like, that person could, like, fuck up the world? And, like, is, <laughs> how based reality is this aspect? That's what I'm curious about. He's going to reveal that Ember is you. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you're oh, Ember no. Brando. Yeah, Brando. Brando was the yeah. frame expands yet again. It's always multiple <laughs> layers deep. This was, we did cold cuts so that you, Brando, wouldn't go and work for Amazon. Because oh, if yeah. you did, damn, I it's all... There's a third, I don't know, there's a second narrative. <laughs> Wait, so we performed Inception. Correct. Yes. yes. Oh, Thank you all for yes, being a part of it. I always wanted to do that. <laughs> I love that movie. Heck yes. That's why it's the only movie that I own on my laptop. (laughs) (laughs) I can see it though, like the parallels to it. But yeah, I'm curious to know about that too. Like just (laughs) where do each of these people come from? How much of them are from your experience or someone you know or someone who either you hope doesn't get to that point or has gotten to that point and this is now the what would have happened if they (laughs) had someone intervene? (laughs) Is Joe just the nephew of Jeff Bezos. Oh! <laughs> Jeffrey in the story? <laughs> Jeffrey is Jeff Bezos. No. 
Joe, a sincere, serious answer, please. I need to be. Serious. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> details, not general details. We need them. Details, okay. You don't need um, name names, but like, explain. So, I mean, Ronica is not Vincent. Yes, Chuck. Yes, Jeffrey. Yes, but multiple people, including my little brother. <laughs> Ember. Oh, uh, Charlie. Go on. Ember is for me, she was actually a character that was actually written last because she wasn't in early drafts. She wasn't as fun as the other characters. But I think with Ember, what I found was someone actually I saw a lot of myself in the same way I saw a lot of myself in Sam. And I think those two characters actually pair off each other very well in the sense that one, Ember is almost a dark mirror of Sam. I like to think of it in the sense that Ember is, if you look at that first exchange, the very first scene. She's not even going to talk about what she wants to draw or wants to... She has the same kind of issue of, of putting herself out there. Mm. And I had a... There's a mentor I had back in high school. His name was John Williams. And he had a... He said something very interesting to me. He said that the biggest problem in the world is that people don't show up. Not the composer, Brand. Not the composer, <laughs> Julia. I'm sorry. <laughs> Different John Williams. Hey, um, John Williams? <laughs> not that one. Not that one. A uh, different one. But he, he, both. What? he did say that uh, the biggest problem in the world is people don't show up and that everyone has gifts. Everyone has cargo. There's that place where personal passion, natural talent meet. And then you combine with that is the sense of service. And a lot of people go through their lives and they don't even ask themselves what that is. They, they go on, they become part of the program. And uh, to me, that's what Ember is. Ember is someone who gets lost in that program, but she's saved from. And I think kind of going back to the scene with the dragon and kind of answering a bit about the dragon you are all right. The dragon is both real and a metaphor. There are, at least the way I think of it, there are three dragons that are killed in that moment. Mm. There's the, dra- the actual literal dragon underneath the woods and the mountains that sleeps and is brought by the corporation. But there's also the dragon with an ember that kind of, there's a good series called The Power of Myth. I think Gabe and I have talked about this yes. at times. It's the, the one with Bill Morris and Joseph Campbell. Yeah, Delton knows. Delton knows. There's a whole section where Joseph Campbell's talking about what the dragon is and what the European dragon represents in, in uh, mythology. And really what it is, it's the binding of oneself to their ego. It, the dragon and myths, a lot of times, is, is guarding treasure, guarding virgins, things that, has, p- things that people it has no use for. It doesn't do anything. It just covets for its own sake. It's wrapped onto the material. It's wrapped onto the ego. And killing that is a hugely heroic act. And it's metaphorical. There is a, when you, you have to kill your dragon and that itself is actually your ego, your fear of, uh, you know, of, oh, I can't do this. I can't go and do that. And you have to say yes. You have to say yes to the adventure of being alive. And you have to, so when she kills that dragon at the very end of the, the story, it's, she's both killing the actual dragon at the very end in the future. She's also killing the dragon with an ember, telling her to kind of go on the, get with the program and stay in the system and don't decide, don't uh, figure out for yourself who you really are. And she's also killing the dragon within Sam, the part of her that's telling her not to go on stage, the part of her that's telling her not to uh, show herself, not to express herself. And uh, that's my answer to that question. That's terrific. Thank you so much for sharing that. This was like the absolute dream I had of getting to talk to you and get to open your brain up in this space. And we've been able to experience doses of it over the last four weeks. And so it's lovely to have it in in concentrate, undiluted. 
by my dramatic structure. If anyone else has any questions, I would love to hear. I would love to hear some of them or just thoughts or reflections about what the process was like being thrown in varying levels of frigidity from C's back of the ice box to maybe someone else's slightly more thawed <laughs> state <laughs> about what it was like to be thrown into. We've all, all of you I know are very talented actors and voice actors and have done all manner yeah, of projects absolutely. in the past. What was it like tackling something that, if I'm not mistaken, Joseph, was, was written initially as a screenplay, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it still is, technically. I, did, yeah. I literally just chopped into four bits, four bits for you guys. Yeah, so kind of an unconventional format for a piece of, like, a radio play, like Delton said, and then an unconventional way of ta- attacking it by being asked to do it cold. So what was that process sort of like? What were things that you didn't expect to happen, that you did expect to happen? Pleasant surprises, horrifically unpleasant surprises. <laughs> I'm curious to hear all of it. Well, especially after hearing so much about Joe's intentions of the themes of letting go and like having faith. How serendipitous is it that we might then need to just put our faith in a bunch of other wonderfully talented people? And it's, once again, it's just so cool to watch it unfold. Like, I love the moments where I don't have lines and I just get to sit there and like marvel at everyone just collaborating. Yeah. Yeah. Good show, everybody. Well done. <laughs> yes. I can definitely speak to that because as the stranger, I was both very nervous and very excited because it was a very awesome concept for a character. But if you saw my character sheet, there was nothing in there that particularly described the essence of how to play that character, who, what they sound like, what their physical like manifestation is. So the second just before my first line that's like an old man who is a stranger and I'm like, well, we're an old man now. Like (laughs) that was definitely just jumping into the ocean with both feet just doing a dive bomb in there and it was awesome and hugely speaks to the whole thing about like having faith in the process and all those things because I was very much this close to having a mental breakdown of like, but how do I play it? What do I prepare? What do I do? What do I sound? I'm like, who am I? And then it just came a point where I was like, it's cold cuts. We read it cold. Who cares? Wee, let's go. And that was so freeing. <laughs> like it was such an awesome part of it to like not know where it would go and then hoping that you can remember what you did last time to keep it consistent. <laughs> mm. That's great. We it enter really as Vincent's and we leave as Sam's. Sorry, McKenna, go ahead. No, it's okay. You're the host. You get to talk over me. It's it's your job. <laughs> you get to kind of talk over me then. I mean, like, it exactly. Now we're doing the ASMR. No, we're not. Well, that's one of the things that was really interesting is... Hello, everyone. I am not derailing this. No, I won't be the one. I already I already did it with Evangelion. I won't do it again. A train okay, southbound okay. has fallen off the tracks. Oh Get the robots. <laughs> it's too late. I, I've pushed a domino and I, I cannot stop this train. I'm already in the metaphor. robot. Oh. Speaking of a character who didn't get in any robots, a character who had no visions, a character who didn't, who couldn't have faith that any of this made any sense. Like that was such a test of the acting skill of, of omitting information from yourself, of being like, I don't know that. 
I don't know if any of this is true. I don't know what's going on. All I know is my boyfriend asked me to do this thing and he's panicking and I can't make him stop and I'm just going to do it. And it was like getting to focus singularly on your character, have no time to make any choices and just do it, not knowing what the stage direction is going to be when you say, when you have a line that's one word and just being like, me? (laughs) (laughs) It was really great because it was a, such an investment into like all those things you're supposed to know as an actor, or not necessarily know, but lots of the things that at least I learned is like, if you don't know what's going on, just think your character's thoughts and you have to really become that person and decide who that person is, because how can you think their thoughts if you have no concept of their life outside of this, you know, one page portfolio of who they are. And if you're a C, this zero page portfolio of who they are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Snaps for C. Speaking of which, C, I'm terribly curious what the process of of coming into this again unfortunately sorry very ice cold about what that was like as it unfolded (laughs) as you got to know more about Rowan as we all got to figure out what the hell is going on at this Uh high school and in this town oh yeah I was just super confused I was like all right guess we're reading Rowan as me (laughs) (laughs) that was basically the way I went about it and I was like okay I guess now I'm interested in seeing this character sheet because I'm like do we have the same personality like what's up but yeah, I think like the thing also is that like Rowan and Sam have these really wonderfully intimate moments kind of peppered throughout like these like absurd premises. And I thought they were just like such lovely little stop gaps where I don't know, I could have that conversation with Julia and I thought it was really fun. So it wasn't like, I don't know, like if I needed to do a character voice or something that might've been a little more, <laughs> the character sheet might've been a little more, you know, like necessary, but I think my character was just like, it was quite natural. So it wasn't, it really wasn't an issue as we clearly found out. Cause I just found out last week. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm already in the process of sending it to her. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'm going to bring it to my therapist and we're going to be like, so this happened. (laughs) Is this this your analysis of me as well? (laughs) The last half of this Twitch stream is just pulling up each character sheet and going, oh, okay. Okay. Wow. That's sort of what happened with the uh, the broadcast. The first show we did was a murder mystery. And the murderer knew yeah. who they were. Caroline um, and none of the other people knew that the murderer knew. And so it was really fun to get to sort of go, well, my sheet said, you know, I was having an affair this entire time. I'm not the werewolf. I'm not, I'm not the werewolf. <laughs> that's great. No, that's just awesome. Just you. Thank you, Julia. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> Crystal, Brenda, Julia, I'm curious, to hear, I'm curious to hear your thoughts as well. The, the experience of getting to approach a text like this cold and get to dive into this like super alive and just like brimming with high school energy world that we got to unpack. Oh, it was nuts. Because like and everything is unfolding at a rapid pace. It just feels like you're on a wheelbarrow, like coasting down like this, this like a hill and you don't know where it's going to end, but you just know it's going to be, there's going to be an ending and it's going to be like a like a bang. And honestly, when we got to the last episode, there was this moment where it just clicked. It's when Sam had to get up on stage and just kind of like roll with it. And like, it doesn't go that well. But like, I related so much in that moment because it's just, that's what it feels like. You know, you throw, you're thrown in to the deep end, like with a script. You're just trusting in the work that you've been able, that you've been doing so far with all the people in the project. And it was like this wonderful feeling of just being like, Okay, we got this. We're, you know what? Just trust in the process. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. We're going to go. We're going to go and we're, we'll figure it out as we go along. And it was just wonderful being able to like watch everybody as they're like in their own processes doing that. Like, just like Delton said, it was like the biggest joy was just sitting back in a scene, like not being like when you're not in it and just watching everyone else battle through their interactions. And it's like, 
Yes, and they make something amazing. Like, I'm still, I'm never going to forget, like, that first episode where the stranger just, like, Nina just happened to have the food. (laughs) It was so, you just, you can't make this shit up. It's It was so good. I didn't plan that at all. I read in the character sheet that he inhales food. That's all I knew. He was just like, you know, a party deity that enjoys a good chomp of all of the inhaling of the foods. And I was like, you know what? I must well just bring a snack. And you served it. Yes. I had to. <laughs> it was magic. And then when I forgot to bring food, I didn't need it anymore. It's just crazy how all these things work out. I know. So, Nina, did you know that you were Dionysus the whole time? Was that on your character sheet? There's actually, Nina, did you check out the link? I did. And I had to watch it like 14 times to try to like, because it was going so fast the way that they were explaining how all this stuff worked. I was like, you're talking so fast. Oh my God, wait, let me rewind. Was it overly sarcastic productions? Yes. (laughs) Yeah, it was. I love them. Name dropped that same video. And I was like, oh, he actually brought up a video I sent Nina. That's funny. I, I used their discussions of mythology to world build history and the way it's interpreted in my D&D games because I'm a dungeon master. That's <laughs> oh my god. So Fun awesome. story. The Goatman was actually, because he, he was originally just like a weird demon creature. He was uh, mm. the idea. So basically, I was trying to rewrite The Stranger because he was not working for me. And I had a D&D session where I play uh, this Circle Stars Druid, highly, highly underrated. They're overpowered healers. Like Chalice Form, Starry Form, Healing Word, you can heal like it's ridiculous. It's broken. But I, at one point in combat, summoned four horny goatmen and it was really exciting. (laughs) And I was so hyped because it was such a great moment. And then I got one shotted directly after and they disappeared. (laughs) And I was so bitter about it. They I live like, on. F it. I'm going to put a goat man in my script. Like, that's exactly <laughs> the mindset I had. It was, was not, there... and it just happened to kind of work. Great. I don't know. <laughs> the dragon was, there... was Joe's rage. The goat men were the goat men from the D&D session. That's <laughs> is, that, yeah. is that how you should write? No. But uh, it no, worked. Yes. It's called serendipity. It's fate. Take inspiration from anywhere. Yeah. But yeah, like that's the thing about like being someone who is me in this body with this voice, get that character sheet and be like, huh. Yeah. (laughs) And then the first line is like this old man called the stranger and you're like, well, (laughs) because imagine you met my, my fear was you would have the stranger's first line and then it would be a descriptor of (laughs) like something physically manifesting of the stranger. So it'll be like, you know, the stranger rocks up. Hey, Vincent, how's it going? And then it's like the old man, the stranger. Yeah, so anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I had fear all through my body. And then once that first hurdle came and we passed it, I was like, all right, let's go. This is going to be a fun journey. (laughs) And it was. It's great. That's terrific. Mentioning that, and I've heard a, a couple people kind of mentioned like acting theory. I want to ask everyone just because it's been a while since introductions were given. So both for the audience and me, because my background, I didn't act before voiceover. So all I know is a very improvisational style of acting. Like those of you, like did some of you come back from like theater backgrounds and stuff? Like what is it like with the amount of prep that theater has versus this style? Like what was that adjustment period like? So I have my degree in theater and drama from 
IU. I hadn't really done any theater since college until like a year ago. And so, so much of that is just missing. So I'm just kind of winging everything. Honestly, I don't think I paid a whole lot of attention in acting like school anyway, but it's just winging it for me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm also a theater student. I feel that. I feel that. (laughs) It's just like somewhere back there. Somewhere back there is the knowledge. And I just kind of like rely on my instincts of like, oh yeah, I read this stuff at one point. Faith. It's still there, maybe. I don't know. Mm-hmm. No, I, I feel that, too. I'm also a theater student. I went, I graduated in 2017 from the U of S here in Canada. Me, too. 2017. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> oh, it's so long ago. And, you know, depending on with COVID and stuff, you know, what your acting opportunities were. Like, I full theater study, Meisner. Oh, what's that one, guys? Who cares? Who cares? It's something <laughs> German, probably. Everything was just Stanislavski. We yeah, just, that guy. We yeah, were that all up Stanislavski and like yeah. Meyerholt a little bit. Mm-hmm. Love that guy. Weirdo. Yeah. You have all this theory in your brain. And like, I think I won't give all my hot takes on pedagogy and academia around theater because I have a lot of feelings and anger about it. But I think one thing that VO specific, like voice work. And that I learned from that was like, you kind of have to be open to make changes. You're going to look at your script. You're going to see periods and commas and stuff. And you just take it all, get rid of it. You don't need it. You can just do whatever you want. Theater told me, you can kind of, you can make bold choices and then stick to them. And then VO told me like, throw it out. You don't need any of that. You don't need any of that. And that was really useful for me here. So theater is absolutely applicable and it's great to learn it, but it's too stringent. And for the new format of new media and this kind of show, you can't take those lessons and apply them the same. That's my experience anyway. Yeah. To add to that, I mean, like Stanislavski's book is called An Actor Prepares. Yeah. So like I come from memorizing a 60 page script, spending like two months with it before putting a show up and then doing it like 70 shows in two months, you know, like crazy repetition every night, the show progresses over time, but you have to have a ton of preparation because opening night is when the reviewers come in and they write their reviews and you want the Chicago reader to say it's good. So people come and buy tickets. So like at the end of the day, I think that, I mean, this this is definitely the most impromptu thing I've done with other people, like outside of auditioning for things, which requires some level of cold preparation. You have a 24 hour deadline, but even then I'm preparing as much as I can within a 24 hour period. So yeah, I mean, this is very unique opportunity. I think it's, it is definitely a challenge for me because I have a lot of like chaos energy that I have to channel. And I think that for me, oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) So with this, it's like, it's definitely, there's like part of me that feels like, whoa, like the chaos is just like way too unleashed and like there's no groundedness. And so it's not technically acting for me. It's more just like exploring and having fun with a character, like how I might at like a lunch table with friends. But in a sense, that's refreshing. And in a sense, it's probably something that an acting coach might make me do because it'll tap into a part. As an actor, you want to empathize constantly. And so you want to tap into parts of yourself that you don't typically tap into. So this definitely did that for me. And so I don't know, from like a, a pedagogical perspective, perhaps it was like actually like in and of itself a necessary, almost like disciplined experience, um, despite it's like unreined chaos to it for me personally. I feel obligated. I feel obligated to share an anecdote exactly on the backs of everything that everyone just said. Thank you so much, Brando and McKenna and Delton and Julia for your, your thoughts on that, that you do this uh, one thing that we were told over and over in acting school. And 
Joseph and I went to the same school um, and were in classes together on, on an occasion, had this, you do the preparation so that you can afford to throw it away and be there in the moment. And you sort of like bake it in so that you don't have to think about it. And Joseph and I, for a final of an acting class one year, had to do a scene. And uh, if you don't mind me sharing, Joseph, that you were, that you got very, very sick when it would have been the time to perform it in person. And this was before that was cause for closing down the school. And so he was just sick and we weren't able to do the performance live. And so we ended up performing it over Zoom, little did we know. And I know I was exhausted. You were coming off of a terrible flu. And I think that's the best we ever did that damn scene. When neither of us had any of our own ego, our own dragon, our own bullshit that we were bringing to the room. And we just were so broken down and so stripped down that we just did the scene. And all of the prep work that we did was there, but we weren't thinking about it. And it was just like, you know, the parts of it that needed to stick did. And then we were able to do this. And that was like, that's one of the most raw theater experiences I've had that I got to share with you, just the two of us in this room performing for a camera. So it's really lovely to get, get to hear some of that insight, especially from folks with a VO background. I have to out Crystal and C who were saying in the chat that both of them have engineering backgrounds. And so they felt like they had no input to add on what it's like to be an actor in this position. You do. I was hearing all this like pedagogy. I was like, oh, great. That, yep, pedag- yep, techniques. My girlfriend is an engineer and she is one of the best voice directors that I have. Isn't that weird, isn't it? There's immense value in having an outside outside perspective. Absolutely. Something about people who aren't in the industry who just have like a clarity. They aren't bogged down by anything. See, my partner is in finance and woodwork. They're bogged down by the theory. They're just like, it should sound this way. They don't have the trauma <laughs> that you get. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, theater trauma. The, different trauma. Let's not discredit that there's no doubt some engineering related trauma that I can't begin to understand. One word. <laughs> Math. Yeah, that's, I mean, traumatic enough on its own. <laughs> that shook me for a second. <laughs> I want to take a second to make sure that any other thoughts that people want to air have a space to air because I do want to wrap things up to be respectful of everyone's time. Not because I want to, but because of, not. I do want to be respectful of your time. Let me be very clear. However, I don't want to wrap things up, but I feel as though we must. Uh, and I want to make sure that we get any other aired things out. I want to hear any final thoughts or things to continue that you're going to continue thinking about that you're going to take with you from this experience. Hmm, I did have a question about about the ship that I was standing low key. And I, Brando and <laughs> you I and, you and Veronica? <laughs> <laughs> I need to know about Veronica and Shep. When did you decide those? I need the deets. I need the deets. Fully, 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 fully. Yes. What time is it? It's, it's uh, how much time what? I got a game? No. Have you got another play that explains? Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Give it to us. Just do it. Just go for it. If everyone here is willing to stick around, I'm happy to keep things going. I don't want to. I'm happy to. We need that question answered just like quick. This seems like a good cause. This is the only thing I will say in that after each episode, I did have rewrites I was doing. (laughs) (laughs) That's got to, as a writer, how bizarre of an experience is it to take an existing screenplay, like a relatively contained medium. Random. Like you've got the whole structure. And then to chop it up and experience it in doses over four weeks and have that as like an active workshop. I remember after the first uh, chapter, it was like, you guys had all these crazy theories. And I was looking at my script. I was like, ooh, I got to up my game. (laughs) And that was where the Goatman came from, actually. (laughs) What? The Goatman was not in your original script. What? What? I wrote that in a couple, like a day or two after the first reading with you guys. Cannot believe you waited till the very end to drop this information. (laughs) What? You were just happy to just let this call in and never tell us. How could you? Yeah, we wouldn't have known. We would have gone. We would have just... Thank you, McKenna, for bringing that up. Happy to help. I was just asking what was on everyone's mind. (laughs) 
<laughs> this is why I posed to Nina, because one of my big notes from Declan was Jeffrey wasn't standing out. He blends in too much with Bert and Chuck. So like right before the reading, like I did the horrible, horrible thing for Nina and I cut all of Jeffrey's lines. <laughs> oh, that's how it happened. No, it's so interesting though, because at first I was like, this is weird. Why would you cast me a song with no lines? Because this is going to be a podcast, right? Like that doesn't make any sense. I'm like, it makes sense for the screenplay. Like I can see that. <laughs> But it makes so much sense and also makes sense because remember we had that thing with the TV anchor situation too? Mm -hmm. And I think someone had, I think we each, like someone had updated scripts. There were two different scripts. And luckily I had seared into my brain the line that came before that piece of dialogue. So we were halfway down the script and then Meredith went back and I was like, page up, page up, page up, page up, page up. (laughs) (laughs) And Delton jumped in and formed. And that's one of the beautiful things for everyone watching at home, like the whole point of this premise of being able to bring these cold reads, these like table reads, essentially, almost like what Brando was saying, like what you would do at a lunch table with your friends or what we'd do as like a table read of a show is that things like that happen and that all of these crazy ideas, you don't get to take the script and pour over it and then come and provide all of those fully nuanced and developed ideas. You get to take whatever pieces of media, Evangelon, that are going through Evangelion, sorry, that is going through your, your mind and you get to bring those and you get to, and that's just such a beautiful thing that like Delson was saying, to get to be in that space and collaborate with everyone and just like watch these fireworks go off that I don't think audiences like maybe get to see and appreciate when you see the final product, when you see those 70 shows in two months that are polished and exactly the same from beginning to end because you've just put so much rigor into them. And there's a, a beauty in that and there's a beauty in the, the spontaneity that we get in this sort of setting. The absolute chaos that is really nice to have sometimes to change things up. Absolutely. (laughs) I can't believe our ships came true. I'm preparing for a play at the moment. So it's like, this has been the respite the day before I have rehearsals each week. And it's just been like, yay, we get chaos for a little while. And then we have to go back to like (laughs) praying I remember everything. (laughs) (laughs) That's wonderful. Well, to that exact point, Nina, actually, I want to wrap up and have everyone just take a second to say a little bit, remind us who you are, where we can find you if we're interested in seeing more of your work. Uh, If you have anything coming up, that sort of thing, this is your opportunity to shamelessly plug because you have done the work. There is no, you're not bragging. Talk about yourself. What are you up to? Where can we see more of you? That sort of thing. Because this particular story arc may be ending. We may be starting a a new one up in a week, but that doesn't mean that you all are done making art. So I can either say who goes first or we can decide ourselves. Yeah, we don't want to jump over each other. So we were waiting for you. (laughs) Understood. I'll go backwards from the way that we started. I'll start in what is the bottom corner for me and ask Crystal, uh, who are you, Crystal Lee, and where can we find more about you? Uh, and what are you up to? Hi, hi. Uh, what's up? I, 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 well, you know me, I voice act. You can find me at crystalwiley.com is my website, which I recently refreshed, and uh, on Twitter at crystalleevo. Yeah, I, I'll be in a number of upcoming projects for video games and I think some animation. Can't say too much, but it's it's a good time. Hi. Yeah. I'll pass it off to Nina. Excellent. I love this popcorn style. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, let's do this. I'm Nina. I'm also a voice slash actor slash content creator. All of my stuff is at voicesofnina.com. So that's the easiest place to find all of the things in one place. And as I mentioned, I'm currently preparing for my theater debut 
in my adult years. Of course, I was like the little angel in the back of the nativity scene when I was four, but that doesn't count. But yeah, it's... <laughs> you, didn't get union, you didn't get union credit for that? No, that was before I realised that people judge you when you do stuff like that. And so now I'm in my mid-30s and I'm like, I don't care about people judging me anymore. I'm doing all the things that I wanted to do my whole life. So I'm doing that which is in two weeks, but it's here in Australia in my hometown, which I'm, I don't know how many people listening to this will find it, but it's called After Dinner. It's an Australian play written in the 1980s and it's a really exciting, awesome experience. And I have to record a bunch of VO stuff in between everything, but that's cool. We have a good time. <laughs> Lovely. Well, break legs. That's very exciting. I will break both of them and that good. of all of my castmates. Via yellow fiat, preferably. <laughs> Okay. Should I pass it or will you pass it? Should I pass it to Brando? Brando popped up. I passed it to Brando. Well, first off, I just wrote this in the chat, but like you're freaking made for theater. I hope that you know that you should be doing not just this play, but like really make something of it because I was really surprised to hear that you haven't done theater yet. You're really good at like, what is it like? You make like really distinct characters and I I can go on and on and I get really excited. That's the director in me. I, Brando Crawford, um, you can find me. Instagram is where I'm really active, which is at Professor Brando, uh, which is ironic because I did not graduate high school, which is a story for another time. And um, (laughs) so that being said, I am probably best known for my thing, Acting for a Cause, which I actually do with Joe. Joe is a producer on it. And we do plays with kind of well-known actors. We've had some really, we've been lucky to have some really, really wonderful actors. Um, We're about to release Julius Caesar, uh, starring a variety of people, including Zelda Williams, Robin Williams' daughter, Brendan Flynn, Gavin Leatherwood, Cameron Monaghan as Caesar. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, Versace is the sponsor. And, um, and then this summer, I'm going to be uh, shooting my first indie film. Um, also, Joe would be, will, is already involved in, in this. And, um, and so you can follow all that progress at Professor Brando on Instagram. Excellent. Thank you, Brando. And good luck with all of that. That's wonderful. Thank you. Kicking off, Brando, popcorn it to someone else. Uh, we're going to send this to, uh, to McKenna. Oh, of course. Uh, hi. <laughs> okay. I've, you did know this I've, was coming. Like, this is very much established. <laughs> Yeah, like, you know, I wrote all my links out to send to the chat in, on uh, Twitch and it deleted all of them. It said, no, <laughs> no, that's fine. I'll just say it. I'm primarily voice acting. You can find me at comic strip, like a comic strip, vo.com, or you can find that at twitter.com slash comic strip vo. Or if you don't want to hear me voice acting and you'd rather see me do metal music covers and dance covers, I'm also Davis underscore X underscore McKenna on Twitch. I only stream like once. I was wondering who that was in the chat. <laughs> This me. Is it you who had all the deleted links? You're like, who is this nightmare? I was, I was like, who's unknown millennial? That person, I really want to know who that is. But. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, so you can find me in those places. I don't know. <laughs> Terrific. Yes, good. Popcorn from you to whomever you would like. See. Okay. Yeah, I'm not super active on social media. Like everything is private, but you can follow me on Instagram at c.jpg if. I don't know. You want to chat? Um, and then I'm primarily in film and TV. So I think my episodes on Dynasty on the CW and Killing It on Peacock are coming out on April. And then I'll be in two Marvel projects releasing next year. Hype! <laughs> what? Wait, he just dropped that casually at the end of this series. You will be letting us know when those become available. They're very small. So <laughs> just catch me in my one little scene. Yeah. 
you will be telling us. Yes. That's terrific. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> there are precious few popcorn targets left, but it's your choice. Oh, yeah. Them. Julia. Ah! <laughs> yeah, so... Hmm. I guess... I'm doing some minor voice acting work right now, mainly like a bridge series on YouTube. I love those things. Love them. Yeah. <gasps> Which ones? Dragon Ball Z Abridged changed my life. And that's like... Yo. Yes. I'm also... I, I'm really bad at promoting myself on any social media. I don't honestly remember a lot of the things that I'm in or have given my voice to. Um, but occasionally I do. So you can find me on either Instagram or Twitter. Twitter. It's just my name, Julia Orsborn. No spaces. Yeah. Eventually I'll get a website. Eventually it's, we're a work in process. Currently in the middle of trying to do a new demo reel. It's, it, it'll happen. You'll see it maybe eventually on social media. I don't know. And Julia, I believe we have between Delton and Joe. Uh, we'll do Delton. Best for last. In things with Joe. Okay. I was hoping I'd be like either last or like to the point where I didn't have to choose between people. Um, <laughs> yeah. So if you haven't noticed, I have a really long, ridiculously spelled name. So kindergarten was hard, but also means typing all of that as a pain. So you can find me by typing Delton Angle Sorrell, D-E-L-T-O-N-E-N-G-L-E hyphen S-O-R-R-E-L-L into a search bar or the easiest username is Jabber Delton on Twitter. And then that has a link to other stuff that you can find by me. Projects I'm in, I'm also cursed by confidentiality on uh, the things I'm on right now, but I will be saying them soon and I'm excited about them. And because I can't help but milk my time a little bit, I was telling Gabriel about this great story of uh, Corey Burton doing a radio play with some actors. I've never met him and I did not do the radio play with him. I've just heard him tell this story. He was doing a radio play when he was young and a beginning voice actor. Um, and he was doing it and they were given that the scripts They go to their corners to practice their scripts before they read them. And he goes over to his corner, is reading it, and he hears one of the actors, she's sobbing in the corner. And he's like, oh my God. And it sounds like maybe like a relative died or something. He goes over to check on her. And he goes, I'm sorry, are you okay? And she whips around and goes, oh, I'm fine, dear. That's sweet of you to check up on me. Yes, but this one woman here in the script, she is having a real pickle. And he realized just the level of skill and more importantly, readiness to just be in the scene. And it makes me think of something that Dee Bradley Baker said, that he goes into a session not prepared, but he goes in ready. So thank you all for coming in ready and excited, but not prepared because we couldn't be. <laughs> couldn't be. We took that from you. You had no choice but to be ready. And I know there's suspense, so I will uh, popcorn it to surprise Joe Blakey. Thank you, Delton. Well, yes, I mean, you can follow me on my Instagram, uh, jrblakey, B-L-A-K-E-Y. I also have a website, josephrobertblakey.com, uh, where you can find some of the stuff I've been involved with, including some other stuff I've written. But yeah, as for what I'm working on right now, there is a... Uh, tortellini that I'm really excited getting to eat after this is call is done. <laughs> that is about as much as I'm willing to give up this time. Awesome. And I'll take, oh, that's critical yeah, before we go. It's roasted uh, garlic and chicken. Terrific. And there is uh, with nutritional yeast. Good call. That's beautiful. 
Well, on that note, and so that you can get to your tortellini as swiftly as possible, (laughs) I would like to wrap up by stealing the popcorn back. Thank you very much. That wasn't part of the compensation. And letting you know that as platform, what we have next is next week, another story arc starting up. A show called Hub, written by Nicole Tuttle, a name you may recognize if you listen to Oh Wayward Nights, the first of the shows in this format, these cold reads of a script. Nicole Tuttle was one of the voices on that, and she's written now one a year later. And so we get to dive into that starting next week. But as for right now, Cold Cuts is an original idea based on our writing producers. I did. His name is Declan Grogan. The music that you hear at the beginning and end of every time is by Vincenzo Torsiello. Highly recommend checking out his Spotify if you haven't yet. It's very different than the music that you hear on the show. So listen to that for something different when you're not listening to McKenna's metal covers. And Day of the Greeks was, is, and will be written by Joseph R. Blakey. Feel free to catch up with him and follow up on the projects that he's up to next. You can follow us at Platform Prod Co. That's P-L-A-T-F-O-R-M-P-R-O-D-C-O. I'm going to <laughs> hit this. Oh, let me make sure that I'm sharing everything. I've gone and ruined everything. I'm really sorry. You aren't going to be able to hear the outro music. I promise I will fix this for you another time. But in the spirit of Meredith not being here, if we want to feel the music for ourselves... <laughs> and with that thank you all so much for tuning in to this wrap-up episode of cold cuts day of the greeks by joseph blakey it was wonderful to get to work with all of you and to get to watch you share this story thank you all so much for always giving your everything until next time 